Welcome back to the Cross Border Interview Podcast. My name is Christopher Brown and I will be your host today. Since the launch of the podcast, I've been asked the exact same thing. Why do you do this podcast? And I give everyone the exact same answer. This podcast is about talking to people in an intimate setting and just having a conversation. Today, we often find ourselves becoming keyboard warriors and have forgotten the lost art of having a conversation. So with that in mind, in 2019, I started this podcast to achieve one thing. Get people talking again. With no notes, no questions, I sit down with subjects to learn about them from them. Today's guest is no exception to that. Sheila Willis is the creator and inventor of a mobile app called the History Check app. During the interview, we talk about how this app can give anyone a unique and exciting tour through Alberta, traveling through the past and discovering the history that has made Alberta what it is today. Willis is from a small remote community in northern Alberta named Smith, and during this interview, we talked about how the origins of Smith came about and how one man Peace River Jim was the driving force of expansion of Northern Alberta and the Northwest Territories. So, with that being said, enjoy cross-border interviews featuring Sheila Willis. Uh, Thank you very much, Sheila, for doing this. Thanks for sitting down on short notice, too. Um, uh, The reason I have you on is I want to talk about your app that you created with some help. The History Check mobile app. Yes. So, my first question that I usually ask everyone is, where does your sense of duty come from? But that doesn't really uh, help in this case. So, my question for you is, where did your love of history come from? Ah, okay. My father-in-law. So, I actually moved to Smith, Alberta in 1995, met my husband, and I came here as a tourist, and I always wanted to live in a small town again, so therefore I did. Um, But my father-in-law, Sonny, was born in 1916, came to the area in 1921, and started telling me about the steamboats and the Klondike Gold Rush and the German POW camp, and I'm thinking, here? (laughs) So... I started reading more and more about it, and once you read one thing and then you find something else to connect it, it's like this interesting little jigsaw puzzle of the area. And I happen to like puzzles. So did you have an interest in history growing up, like when you were like with your mom and dad, living with them, or was it when you met your father-in-law that you went, wow, like I need to learn a little bit more? Actually, growing up, I wanted to be an archeologist. Wow, okay. So it was there. And then I also grew up in Salmon Arm, BC, and there are two heritage homes. One I think is going to be taken down for the Trans-Canada this summer. Um, But the other one's already been demolished. And they were two homes built in the early 1900s. So I grew up in heritage homes and knew the stories of those houses. So then again, there's that. How did that all fit within the community? So we're actually going to go to Salmon Arm and present to their historical society in April. Okay, so April of 2020. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll let you get that for a second if you need to. No, that's just... Okay, that was her phone. That was a whistle. That was an email. Sorry. Oh, email. No worries. So, um, 
He moved uh, to Smith, Alberta, which is in northern Alberta, in uh, 1995. Mm-hmm. Uh, you meet your father-in-law, I'm assuming, around the same time? Yeah, within a year. Okay, so in 96, you have a history revelation of what's what, what took place in northern Alberta. Or was it more over a longer period of time where he was telling these stories and you went, okay, maybe I should look into a little bit more of this. Maybe it would be nice to know a little bit more about this issue or that issue. It was over a longer period of time. There's a book called Echoes Along the Athabasca River. They were put out, I believe, in the 80s by many groups across the entire province. So that's kind of what I call our local Smith history book. And when you start reading those stories, it is just amazing what happened in this little town. We used to be right on the main highway. We were Highway 2. And then as the highway to Slave Lake, Highway 44, which then goes to 2, cut cut us off the route, I guess. So now we're 10 and a half kilometers off. But that happened to so many little towns across Alberta, and all of them have this rich history. So my brain started thinking, okay, here we have a struggling little community. Can we use our history to bring more people in? And, and document the history at the same time in the places it happened because there's so many, oh, I'll just throw this one out. Hideway Hardware in Fort Vermillion is in an original HBC Hudson's Bay Company building. Wow. So how do, how do people even know that, right? Yeah. So was it easy to do research in smaller communities? Because to me, um, I, I come from a small rural community back in Ontario, and I would say that the uh, quote-unquote elders of the community, the staples of the community, had the knowledge, but they weren't putting it down on paper, so it wasn't properly documented. So when you're looking at a relatively new province, quote-unquote new province like mm-hmm. Alberta, and a relatively new small community like a Smith, was it easy to find information that you were looking for, or when you were being told stories by your father-in-law, by locals in Smith, were you going, okay, I need to start writing this down to make sure that it's kept and that future generations have this history? A bit of both, really. Okay. Um, Smith, also formerly known as Mirror Landing and formerly known as Port Cornwall, are in a lot of history books. So you take a bits here and a piece there, but then back to that puzzle thing, they all combine together to get the whole story. And then, like you're saying, people are have knowledge that they don't even know that they have. So I started looking for descendants of those mirror landing people. Um, would you like a little mirror landing history? I was just actually going to ask that yeah, because okay. I was I, I never I didn't know Smith was named something else, and I was going to ask what how did Smith get its name? But let's talk about. Okay, so Mirror Landing was original town, and it's on the opposite side of the Athabasca River, and it is private property right now. Okay. So, when you think back even thousands of years, the Lesser Slave River is the only outlet from Lesser Slave Lake, a huge lake, 100 kilometers long. One of the largest in Alberta. Yeah. The largest accessible by car, if I'm not mistaken. So, when you look at that river, when rivers were highways and it goes right into Athabasca, which is a major route, you can pretty well guess at that river junction, the indigenous people have been using it for like ever and ever all men. Yep. So, and then the, and then the, um, 
as the settlers came through, it would be an obvious route, and they had the guides. And right where Mirror Landing was, it's a total, it's the flats, right? So whereas Smith, you have to climb up a big hill to get to the town of Smith, on Mirror Landing, you can pull right up to it with a boat. So it became the steamboat town. So when was Mirror Landing founded? Captain Barber homesteaded the land and said he has been there since 1906. Okay. But there's other books that pe- put people there earlier. Okay? But the, the yeah. village or hamlet of Mirror Landing was... I would say roughly 1906. 1906, okay. Yeah. And he was in cahoots with James Cornwall or Peace River Jim. So they would come from Athabasca Landing on the steamboats to Mirror Landing. And because the Lesser Slave River is very shallow and it has a series of rapids at the... I guess bottom end of it. Um, if the water was high, they could take the steamboats all the way up and into Gerard, formerly known as Lesser Slave Lake Settlement. Um, or they had to unload at Mirror Landing, portage to where the Salto River comes in, known as Soto Landing. Yep. And then get back on a boat there. So there was two ways. So in 1913, the railway is coming. So they, CN? Um, it would have been Pacific. Well, Edmonton, Dunvegan, and British Columbia Railway. Okay. So um, MacArthur's Railway. And all of the businessmen are getting together. There's 30 or 40 businesses in Mirror Landing by this time, and they're going to promote Mirror Landing as almost a warehouse town because if you sh- if you buy from the the vendors in Mirror Landing you're saving a week of shipping to go north to Grand Prairie or whatever this was the major route like up there yeah. um, but then the railway put the tracks on the opposite side of the Lesser Slave River so then one guy scrambles gets that land surveys it for the new town and in the midst of all this they renamed the town and incorporated it as a village but they renamed it Port Cornwall so Mirror Landing was an informal name Port Cornwall was the formal name so Port Colburn uh, Cornwall Port Cornwall sorry yeah. Port Colburn the town in Ontario that my mom grew up in Port Cornwall was that both sides of the river both the north and the south or was it just the south side closest to the railroad as, track as close as I can figure it, it included both okay yeah so and then as the railway came so these guys are all thinking everything's hunky dory and then the railway put the town on the south side of the Athabasca and named it Smith after Rathbone Smith the chief engineer and general manager of the of the Edmonton Dunvegan and British Columbia or ED and BC Railway and it's the first divisional point out of Edmonton so okay so I just want to make sure I get my timeline here right so Mirror Landing becomes Port Cornwall in 1913 1913 and then 1914 14 so literally a year later yeah it becomes or less yeah then the town is literally moved to the opposite banks of the Athabasca for the railway town and was this a large community when it was first formed Smith 
Yeah. Because um, I'm assuming not, but with all the jobs that the railway's yeah. pr- producing, I'm assuming people are flocking to the city or the hamlet or village. Well, Smith used to be way bigger. Like, it used to have three or four stores and a couple of gas stations and two hotels. And, yeah. So, at that point in time, it was quite large. And all of the businesses of Mirror Landing went to the railway station. So, Mirror Landing, literally, within a year, as he- municipal affairs is sending them letters trying to figure out what's going on there's a a document in the provincial archives that just says no one's here anymore penciled on the envelope and returned really yeah so literally everyone just picked up and left picked up and left yeah when you were researching just that that yeah a is mind-boggling were you shocked that that happened yeah why well because to me, it seems like a natural progression of you move to where the closest transportation is, right? Yeah. You move to the closest to the road, you move closer to the river, you move closer to the railways. So to me, that doesn't seem like a far-fetched idea, but back in 1913, that must have been like a massive ordeal. I, yeah, and especially since, like, roads are not as we have them, like, you know? Well, some of the roads that I've been on up north yeah. are pretty... Well, yeah, they're pretty <laughs> primitive. But I've been on the Mirror Landing site, and you can see where the houses are dispersed in the bush, and... So they're still from foundation there? Yes, all, all of the... All of the cellar holes for the town are there. So does that go back to your uh, young girl days of trying, wanting to be an archaeologist and Probably. going out there and searching? I've literally mapped it. <laughs> I, oh, I can tell you where the business is, which business was where. Really? Yeah. So. Just because I'm curious. <laughs> and that's what I was going to ask. Why do this? Why, why, have, why, why you? Why not somebody else? Because no one's done it, or you just you like you want to put that puzzle piece together. I want to do the puzzle piece. Yeah, I want to. Yeah, my I have a brain that really connects dots. I don't know why I have that talent, but I do. And I'm also a really avid reader, so I can read something in one book and then read another book and pick out two sentences and know that they're connected. Okay, so this is going to put my semi-journalist hat on here. Documentation is not always the best. You might get one information from one book and then another book says something completely different. How do you believe this? You go to the archives and start looking at what the documents are from the government. <laughs> is that where you... Yeah. Is that, is that I, where I most love of your day? The, yeah, I love the provincial archives. I've only been there twice, and I can say that it was the best, like, just sitting in that room with yeah. all the information that they can just bring at, bring to you yeah. at any moment. Oh, I do it in a heartbeat again. Well, and one of the archivists there one time said to me, I found this, um, It's it was actually a, a scroll, I guess, like a big roll of paper, but it had the railway tracks on it and all the stations and where they were putting ties. Of Alberta? Of, of the D and BC, like oh, wow. Northern, and she's, you come up with the coolest stuff in here. <laughs> it's because I keep digging. <laughs> right? Well, exactly. But we yeah. need people like that, right? Yeah. So, 
we'll go back to Smith here because I, I find this interesting because I think it does uh, move into why you started the app, which we'll talk about later. But Smith becomes a sort of a hub of Northern for uh, for the now we call Slave Lake region. Yeah. When does it start to decline? When Slave Lake starts to become more prevalent, or what, or when it declined, and I and I don't have the exact year. But in the what decade? I think in the fifties, and I don't quote me on that one because I'm not hundred percent sure. But the highway <laughs> used to go from Athabasca to Smith. It's actually Ranch Road for anybody that's around here, yep. more or less. Um, and then up what we now call the Old Smith Highway to yep. Slave Lake. That was the original highway. So then they made forty four from Westlock. To Slave Lake, well, High Prairie. Yeah, and at that point, Smith started because they're no longer on the major route, so they don't have all those travelers coming through. Have you figured out why they did that? No, I think because it was shorter, maybe. I guess so. I'm, I'm guessing. I'll get there. It's on my list. <laughs> hey, I believe in you, Sheila. And, and when when was it paved? I think that was the 70s where Tower Hill was paved. But anyways, so I'll, Smith, I'll get that figured out. So when you're researching Smith, mm-hmm. what's the biggest oh my God moment? What was the moment when you went, this happened here? Or I can't believe this person came here. So what was that moment for you? Or I can't believe this business was here. Like these, there must be moments where you just look at it and go, this couldn't have happened. Then you like have to re-look at the information. Hmm. There's a lot of them. Oh, give me a few. Um, Silence of the North is a book. And very, actually, Moose Portage, but Smith area. Oh, I know what it is. <laughs> <laughs> in in Moose Portage, which is kind of by East Fawcett Lake area, there's a big post office old building in, in a private field there. Yes. Anyways. Um, in that general vicinity, they were had million-dollar ex- explorations for oil and gas. And they were floating drilling rigs down the river, and it was a British syndicate. And when was this? I think it was in 1914. I'd have to go take a look at my book. So British, the British Empire, like United Kingdom, was sending oil rigs over here to try and explore... For gas. I should have my little book out. I could tell this you was, more. This was roughly, this yeah. was way before. Way before the, the boom hit. Yeah, I was they say, were looking. Yeah. So someone must have known, right? So yeah. And to come up north, someone must have seen something or heard something, right? Well, I know on, okay, so even, even now you can see the gas bubbling in places on the river. My husband actually tried it. He lit a lighter one time, and yeah, the little gas bubble was a little flame. Wow. So, and there used to be, and I don't know if it's still there, and I think it's on the opposite side of Athabasca, there was an internal flame there. Like, always burning. A gas seepage, always burning. Big torch. Yeah. So, when do you... How do I want to say the other one is the Klondike Gold Rush came. We were one of the roots. What? No, really? Yeah. No, back to they'd come out of Edmonton, go to Athabasca, go up the only access to Lesser Slave Lake, 
which but that is, seems weird because you think they would go to BC to go to the U. Edmonton really touted it as the backdoor route. And we were part, like, there were there were choices, but we were one of the choices. Smith was one of the choices, or Mirror Landing. So, so they would so if you read the canoe book. or boat up here, because at yeah. that time there wasn't, uh, or train. Yeah. yeah. Um, you, you had an influx of people then coming through this way from all over the world, not even just Canada and the United States, because yeah. when the Klondike hit, I remember, if I'm correct, like, there was a rush to get a well, Klondike rush. <laughs> well, and they would go to Athabasca, so would they go up west or would they go east and up to Fort Mac? Was there ever moment, uh, discussions in uh, Smith's history where uh, Smith would be the like the uh, essential central hub before Slave Lake became prominent? Yeah. So be prior And then to it was known as Sawridge. Yes, well that's the thing. Yeah. So prior so, to Slave Lake it was Sawridge. Um but Smith was that hub. Yes. So right before Slave Lake, and I don't think I, there was Hudson's Bay there at the mouth of the river. Oh yeah, at in in Saw Ridge. Yeah. And like a stopping place in the churches, missions, whatever. But um, this was the main main spot before that. And and because you had the way the I'm reading it, yeah, the way I'm reading it, and I have to do some more digging on this, and I want to find somebody who knows where all those businesses were on that on the river mouth. Um, we had thirty or forty businesses in Smith. Wow. Or sorry, Mirror Landing, not Smith. Mirror Landing. When Mirror Landing shut down, it had thirty to forty businesses. Surprising to me that that's happened. Yeah. Because when I've I've come into Smith numerous times over my tenure up here, and I can say I've I would never have imagined that Smith slash Mirror Landing slash Cornwall would have been a, a, a hub of activity for Northern Alberta or well, Central North Alberta. Well, and at one point it was the only route north. Yeah. yeah you went that way, or you went the Edson Trail, but we were pre Edson Trail. So when you're doing research and you're remembering the stories that your father-in-law have t- has told you, are you confirming those stories? Mm-hmm. And They're easy to confirm. I, I, get, <laughs> I get that, but the yeah. question that I want to get into is, are there stories that he says and you go, well, technically, this happened instead of what you've told me? Because that's that's always the best thing about history, right? Because mm-hmm. you... You you try to learn about the past, and then when people are telling you things, you're like, "Well, it might you might say that, but here's the records that say actually it happened this way." I haven't hit one yet. Oh, really? Yeah, he was pretty accurate. He was a sharp, sharp old coot. That's what I call him. Sorry. <laughs> hey, don't worry. He made him a little red quad wagon and put the old coot on the back. <laughs> it was fun. So at Alcan Highway, that's one thing I've never mentioned on the route to build the Alaska Highway. Alcan Highway, what's that? Um, Alaska, Alaska Canadian. Alaska Canadian, yeah. So the Alaska Highway, we, our bridge in Smith was built by the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers to get all of those soldiers up building the Alaska Highway. <laughs> See why I like this place? <laughs> This is a treasure trove of friggin' historical information. I've I've been in some farmers' fields out here where they still have U.S. Army trailers, like little things that they use on their farm. Holy crap! 
crap on a cracker. Those, those things yeah. were built to last. <laughs> I can imagine because it was back in the tens and twenties, literally a hundred years ago, when literally yeah. they were built to withstand yeah. anything. So um, yeah, the railway was shipping stuff. But Sonny, um, my father-in-law, said he remembers before they got the bridge built, because we had the ferry right there next to the bridge, that there would be two or three city blocks. They, all the army vehicles would just be lined up, waiting to cross the ferry to carry on on their journey north. North. And wow. I actually have here. I, it took me a while. I don't know why I didn't connect this. Um, my mother-in-law gave me a U.S. Army cookbook from the 40s, 44, I think, 43, 44, where if I was going to cook a roast beef dinner, I would need like 175 pounds of potatoes. <laughs> it was, yeah. Oh, jeez. And I'm thinking, where did she get this? Oh, <laughs> yeah. Because they had to feed 175 private yeah. people. Yeah. So you're doing this research. Mm -hmm. You're learning about the history of just your community. When do you expand? When do you say, you know what? I've hit that moment where I've hit some roadblocks in Smith. I let let's see what history there's in Sawridge, Slave Lake, Athabasca, this, there. When does that happen? It's not the roadblocks, it's the connections. So for instance, Mirror Landing, Homestead records indicate the question is, does anybody else have claim to this land? And he lists James Cornwall, who, um, Peace River Jim, at the at that time is a, I think they called him an MP, but it was basically MLA, yep. uh, in the legislature. And he owned Northern Transportation Company and had three boats. So James Cornwall was not isolated to Smith. He was all over the North. Okay. From 1896, spoke six indigenous languages, like he's up in the Northwest Territories, Fort Mac, all over the place. So if I'm finding him at Smith, where's the connection to the other places? By the way, I'm going to write a book on this guy. Nobody ever has. I was going to say, because <laughs> you've, you've dropped he's, his name twice, and I've never favorite. heard of him before, so I want to oh. talk about him a little bit, if that's okay. Sure. So. My hero. Okay. <laughs> So I'm assuming his name is not actually Peace River Jim. It's Jim something. So what's his last? James Kennedy Cornwall. Okay. So that's where Port Cornwall comes in. That's right. They're giving him credence. Okay. So how does he get the nickname Peace River Jim? Um, I'll just tell you one of the most prominent. In 1910, uh, he'd already... So prior to Port Cornwall. Yeah. Okay. Roughly. Okay, so in 1896, he comes to Alberta. He's already traveled across the world. He's a young man at that point. Um, Interesting story. We won't go there. But he hears about all of the fur up north. So he spends the next two years traveling up north and living up north and learning the languages of the people and becomes known as a pretty fair trader. So he's all of a sudden one of those free traders competition with HBC. He gets him and a guy by the name of Fletcher Bredden form um, Bredden and Cornwall Trading Post. So Fort Vermilion, Saskatoon Lake, all over the peace country. Then he kind of, when the Klondike Gold Rush came in 1898, he starts ferrying people up the river, Manaa, forms a northern transportation company, which is the steamboats. But in the process of all this, in 1910, he knows the agricultural value up in the Peace River country, 
and literally out of his own pocket pays for a press party. So he takes agriculturists and newspaper journalists and da 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 on this tour starting in Edmonton to Athabasca, up through this area, up to Fort Vermilion and around to promote development of the north. Of the north. And you know, meanwhile he's had the trading post and that's kind of where the Peace River Jim thing came in. Okay. And then he's also known as Apostle of the North and I have a friend who's an archivist in the North or not works at the archives in the Northwest Territories and she just found up there a connection to uh, one of the oil things up there, Fort. Now I can't grab the name. But anyways so, um, I want to say Fort McKay, but I'm not no, sure if that... Uh, it's up in the Northwest Territories. It's a big oil boom. But he, he alerted he, so Yeah. Peace River Jim was up there, and, and he alerted... And Fort Mac. He alerted, basically, yeah. everyone that this was happening and people mm-hmm. should move up here. Yeah. Wow. So, um... And this then, is, he seems like a young guy. Yeah. I think he died in 56. So... At 70-something. So in, he would have been 20, He's buried in Calgary. Yeah. Okay. So um, that's how he got those names. And he also had an indigenous name, and I hope I say it right, Pomachis. And I've also been told it was probably Opomachis, so it might be, have been which, him. Which means what? Traveler or someone who wanders about. Wow. So he he's relatively the father of northern Alberta, relatively. or northern Canada, I should say. Yeah. It sounds like he was... Alberta in- more than anything. He was very much for northern Alberta. So he just about knew everybody. So, okay, I'm going to give you a story that some people might connect his name to if I tell you this. 12-foot Davis in Peace River. I was about to say, yeah. Okay, is buried at a certain spot with that log gravestone on it. Yeah. Um, 12-foot Davis was not originally buried there. He was buried in Gerard where he passed away. And he was friends with Peace River Jim or James Cornwall. And they were sitting at the spot where he's currently buried one time, and he told him he wanted to be buried there. So it, I think it took him two or three years, but he literally had him exhumed and moved to where he currently is to honor his friend's wish. Wow. <laughs> I am flabbergasted right now. So, and then to tell you more of what this guy is and why I like him so much, even though I'll never meet him. Um, but you must meet him a bit because when you're looking through these records, I you're know seeing, him. I exactly, just will never physically sit like this. You will like never this, have yeah. a conversation with him. And I would. It, it, yeah. Somebody said, if you could go back in time and, and and talk to anybody, who would it be? That's my guy. That's your guy? That's my guy. He was at treaty signing at both Lesser Slave Lake and Peace River in 1898. So he was at treaty 8 signing? Treaty 8 signing. And treaty... They're both treaty 8. Are, is Peace River treaty 8 as well? Mm-hmm. Okay. To the best of my knowledge, it is. My- and... Yeah, on my mental map says yes. Yeah, the archivist at the Lesser Slave Regional Indian Council will send me an email once she hears this and tell me that it is too. <laughs> yeah, nice lady. Yeah. Anyways. Kelly <laughs> Yeah. So, um, but what Cornwall did that would have been different, and this will tell you that he was a man ahead of his time, 
is that in the 30s, he did an affidavit and submitted it saying that what was said and what was written were two different things. He supported what the indigenous people were saying was said. Really? And they're still using that today. I was going to say, you don't yeah. you don't hear that too often. No. not And especially not in the 30s or earlier, right? No, exactly. But then you got to think that this man took the time to learn, like... The language. The languages. And, and here's another story. And this came out of the provincial archives again. It was a box for James McGregor, who's an author of things like... Uh, the historical books of Alberta. So this letter was written by Cornwall's daughter, Nora, and some of her reminiscing of her father. And I, and I have not yet taken the time to find this gentleman's name, but I will. He was uh, Inuit, and he had been charged with murder, if I remember correctly. James Cornwall, at this point in time, has a mansion in Edmonton. It was recently, well, not recently anymore, but four or five years ago, some another couple bought it. But he had the police bring this Inuit man to his home. He's going to Edmonton. He's going to jail for life, right? Cornwall had the man, the RCMP, bring this man into his home, uncuff him, and leave him there. Like, who gets to do that? Yeah. And who has he, the sway to do that? Who has the sway to do that? And conversed with this man for several hours in his own language, giving him a bit of dignity before yeah. he went to jail. Wow. Now, you, you yeah. said that he was an elected official as well? Yes. In the Alberta legislature? Yes. Liberal, yeah. Wow. For the Peace River riding. Which was pretty significantly large yeah. back then. And even his... Um, election pamphlets or, you know, whatever going out. He even did them in syllabics. There's Glenbo, I believe, if you go on there. Have images, you, you, you can seen see. photos of him? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And I've met his granddaughter. I was going to say, have you met relatives? Of, are they still in the area? No. They're in on Vancouver Island. The one granddaughter. So, she's given me just a wealth of stuff. Right? And... I think she has three trunks of papers and things. Now, the Glenbow Archives has already been there because they're the main holding of his fawns. Yep. So a lot of that is duplicates. She's given me um, images. But she has the originals. Some of the originals, yes. And some are copies. But, yeah, I've gone through them. And how fun. (laughs) I was going to say, like, as My ultimate vacation, (laughs) right? I know. Some people like to go to Disney World. <laughs> Sheila likes to go to see three trunks worth of old Peace stuff. River gyms. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was it was amazing. And and so some of that, like he was a colonel, lieutenant colonel in the war. And uh, in a railway thing. So he had pictures specifically dealing with here's some more of those aha moments. Um over I don't know how to say it, Ypres. Okay. Y-P-R-E-S. Yeah. Um, but on on the back, like one of them was showing German bombs like he had written on it. And I always had the question, okay, so how did he get along with Rathbone Smith of the railway? Because the railway kind of killed Mirror Landing. But on the back of it, it was talking about something of railway construction. He said, I need to let Rathbone know about this. What? Whatever it was yeah, to do with the railway. Exactly. You know, like it, it would have triggered in his mind. But if during the war, he, he's mentioning 
this guy that could be his arch enemy for destroying his town. But no, he's carrying on, and it's kind of like the indication is it's still for the benefit of Peace River, right? So like he's is still there friendly. Any monument slash dedication to Peace River Jim in the northern Alberta hemisphere? Um, not that I'm aware of. Would you like to see that changed? Yeah. I'd like the book to be written because they're so, like, you get a bit here and a piece there and all together. Fascinating man. I didn't know about him. I'll yeah. be completely blunt. I did not realize that this man existed until, like, literally, whatever, half hour ago. Yeah. <laughs> so, but do, do, does that not speak of all of the stories we're losing or well, people aren't aware of? Exactly. And it's a cool, cool awesome. story. Fascinating story. Like There's thousands of them like that. Like, a man like that to do that in the 30s and 20s, like, that's just, or even before then, that's... Inspiring. Inspiring slash ballsy, because not Mm -hmm. a lot of people would have done that. Like, to just say, I'm going to do it and go and do it. Yeah. So, moving forward, you... You find out all these stories about this man. You you learn about Smith. You're learning about Northern Alberta. You're learning about Alberta. You, you're enjoying the history. You're enjoying your time in the archives, I'm assuming. Oh, yeah. One day you wake up and go, I need to put this down, and I need to let other people know this. I'm going to launch a mobile app. Well, there was a step in front of that one. Okay, so what was that step? Um... And the thought was, okay, I live in this small hamlet. Every dollar counts at this point because we have what I think on Wikipedia we're 148 people now, right? Yeah. Um, hey, Boston's bigger than you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're on 202. We have beautiful scenery. We're right on these two rivers. Um, we have <laughs> huge history. <laughs> in the uh, half hour that you told me, I want to learn more. <laughs> And so our centennial was coming up, or as best we knew. We did it in 2014. So I thought, well, what can I do? And I created, and it's not a tour anymore, but I created Alberta's first official geocaching tour. And I placed 100 stories by GPS location with caches. So that was my first, I don't know. Foyer into into it, yeah. And I, and I'm, because I get um, notifications when people come, I can tell you that I brought 500 people into the town of Smith through that geocaching, if not more now. I haven't added them up. That's kind of my last. 500 people. Minimum. And that was from 2014 or just in? I'd say to 16. Yeah. So in two years, you brought 500 people into this community. Which would have not have been here. Yeah. Likely before. Did you get feedback about, holy crap, I didn't know about this history. I didn't know about this, like I've been doing for the last half hour. Is yeah. holy shite. Yeah. What does that or do? To- I had no idea. Like even Fawcett Lake, I had no idea that was there. The provincial park and the this and the that. Like people were astounded to literally come into the community in the region and find out what we had, because people don't go always off the beaten path. And why don't they? Because they don't know what's there. Yeah. So next step was. And I'm going to credit Margaret Anderson, who's now archivist at Athabasca Archives. She's the one that that put the ting in my brain to create the mobile app. We were talking about something unrelated, and she said, well, people don't know what we have up here. Well, I just did the geocaching tour using stories and GPS locations to tell those stories. 
and the other part of that conversation was and it's all related Cornwall for instance I can place him in Fort Mac Fort Vermilion Grand Prairie Smith like Edmonton all over the place so my brain started okay what if we build a searchable mobile app placing sites by GPS location and telling the stories but providing the links to move forward for more research I can do that <laughs> of course and I did <laughs> yeah so that was 20 what when you um, when you first sat down with Margaret 2015 2015 so a year after the centennial yeah. You, you and Margaret, I'm assuming, have coffee and, in this. Well, there was a meeting of about 10 people. For exactly. Lady, so you yeah. guys all have this meeting. You sit down. Yeah. And you say, I can do it. Mm-hmm. You take it upon yourself to move forward. Yeah. Big undertaking. Yeah. It sounded really easy at the time. <laughs> I was going to say, did it sound easy? Yes, but was it easy? Probably not. What was the hardest part? Funding. Funding? Funding. In all honesty, and people that don't know me wouldn't understand this, but those that have gotten to know me would. Had I had adequate funding and been able to delegate tasks, I could have had Northern Alberta rocking for Canada 150. But I can only type so fast. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah. But and then through popular demand, for lack of a better term, we went Alberta wide in June. Just June 2019. Yeah. Okay. So, when when was the official launch? So first uh, off, the mobile app is History Check app, right? Yes, History Check mobile app, HistoryCheck.ca. Okay. Where can they download it? HistoryCheck.ca. Okay. Can they download it in the Apple iTunes Store either? Yeah. Okay. Apple and Google. And Google. And I'm gonna give a word to the wise right now. We put it out to get all of those collaborators on board. Yeah. And being like, with zero experience, really, when the when the coders asked, "What do you want for log on?" I said, oh, just use what everybody else uses. So what's right there right now is basically requesting your life story. It was a huge mistake. And you can't change it? It will be changed probably within a month to six weeks. Okay. We're doing an upgrade because it, even on the Apple store, it still reflects that we're Northern Alberta. So now we've just been, be we're going to hang out. And um, I'm actually in the process of getting everything ready for the coders to up, upgrade it. Because as we're, I probably have 600 sites sitting in my files right now I have to upload. And we're saying this spring is when we're really targeting the app users because they'll have full content. Okay. Or a good base of content because this thing's going to grow organically for years. (laughs) So you launch in when? Pardon me? When do you launch the app? When does it officially go live? Um, it's live right now, but, when but as did, a beta. As a beta. So when you first put it out there, when you first clicked, okay, people can start downloading it. What day was that? Do you October remember? October 2017. So 2017. And we did it in less than 1,000 days. Okay, 1,000 days. Yeah. How many uh, locations did you have in 2017 on that day? Mm. Was it... and. At Almost. that time, it was just Northern Alberta. It was just Northern Alberta. Which means from Edmonton to yeah. uh, Hay River. Yeah, the northern border. Okay. And I believe we had, I'm going by memory here, I think we had about 900 sites on it. 
So 900 sites, and you and a small group, I'm assuming, or majority you, are yeah. putting these in manually. Yes. So that's your full-time job, basically. Yeah, plus some. <laughs> so you have 900 sites. Yeah. What's the reception like when you first launch? Very, very good. People are downloading it. People are quickly... We have about 3,000 downloads already, and we're not even targeting app users. <laughs> wow. We're targeting collaborators right at this point. You're only uh, targeting the people who could put things on there. Trying, yeah. And how's that going? Hmm. Hit and miss? Oh, no. Um, <laughs> we now have 23 municipal alliances, is what we call them. So what we're doing with them is inviting them to put on, they have their GPS coordinates, generally in a GIS system, inviting them to add all of those locations, preferably with an image and a story. So I'll just say town of Troshu, for instance. Of they, where? Troshu. It's down south. Okay. Um... Lethbridge I'm, area? Um, east of Calgary, more or less. Okay. I'll they're, have to go take a little trip out there one day. Oh, it's beautiful. I did. Okay. Um, they have an arbitrium. They have little restaurants. They have their museum. They have the best shoe store in the world. Okay. I, am, I am not a clothing shopper, and Henry's Shoes is, is actually on my bucket list when, when I... Get back down there again? Yeah, when I... Yeah, I have a certain stage I want to be at, like financial goals, etc. Yeah. And there's a bucket of money to go spend. <laughs> 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 I'm kind of eccentric, so that fits my bills. But anyway, exactly. A, so a nice little town. So they literally sent us an image, information, the links, and the GPS coordinates for. So their whole town now has a built-in app. Of, lo- of historical locations. No, we're more than history. Okay. Did you miss that? <laughs> yeah, because the, the name sort of then... And the name was when we... First launched. First launched, being a, a Northern Alberta history app. Okay, but so now you are a tourism app. We are History Check, Alberta-wide heritage and tourism mobile app. Okay, that's a mouthful. I know, <laughs> and we will rebrand at some point, but we're still. That's where you are right now. That's where we're at right now. Okay, so you, so basically, we are create, creating 650 community guides across the entire province of Alberta. So if you go in and you get a map that a chamber of commerce or something may have put together, yep, plop that into the app. Plus the heritage Can stories. Can people in their own information? There is a submit a point of listing in the blue arrow on the app, or they can email me. Okay. Um, contact me in some way. We'll put your contact information in yeah. the show notes. That way, yeah. if they want to reach out. And then for the bigger organizations, we do Excel sheets or Google Docs or whatever to work towards, like, so, for instance, Lacombe Tourism sent us 100 sites. And this is the cool part about it, because when we started out as a nonprofit, even though we're Impact Tourism a business now, all of those mandates to promote economic development Alberta through tourism came forward with us. So the cost for for Lacombe Tourism and other related organizations was to cross-market us. We put all their stuff up on the app. They push out the download link when we're ready. Isn't that interesting? Wow. You've done so much. When do you rest? Um, Because... 
if I'm not mistaken, we're recording this on uh, on a Friday. Yeah. Just this week alone, you were in Calgary. And Edmonton. So you, and Edmonton. <laughs> and you just told me as we walked, I walked in before we started recording, you're going back down to Olds. Yeah. When, when do you have and time to just do what you, like, just relax? Or is this relaxing This is you? relaxing. <laughs> I'm a data hound. <laughs> like, I just... And when people are submitting things to you and sending stuff to you and you're putting these inf- this information on the line, on the mobile app, are you just amazed by the history that this province has? And the, Absolutely. The, the tourist locations that people can go to in this province? Yeah. Because the one thing that I hear all the time is, oh, I want to go to yeah. Disneyland. I want to go to California. I want to go to... Uh, Paris, right? Mm-hmm. But there is that history in Alberta, right? Yeah. So and beautiful places. How do we? Ch- so now we're gonna put put something another hat on here. How do you want to influence people's decisions to stay in Alberta, to spend their tax dollars in Alberta, to ensure that? Oh, naughty. To in, so, <laughs> how do you how do you want to influence people to ensure that they stay in Alberta to tour Alberta to use your app? I think, and I've heard this often, that click clacking of uh, little nails that's is my a little, little, doggy little puppy. Yeah. <laughs> um, I have heard it so often that people. Whether they be contractors that are in a hotel room, they don't know what to do in those smaller towns. Or, oh, I always wanted to see what was there, but I didn't know what was there. Yeah. Right? I wondered if there was anything there. I guess there's a better way to say that. So I think by having history check and having all of those small hamlets available where you just pop in through a community icon is what we call them. It gives you your five categories. You can literally see if that's something that you want to go visit. But you can, once we get this content developed and our business advertisers on, you're going to be able to search this thing. So let's just say I have an interest in railway history. As we sit here, deer just oh. walked up to your yeah. door. <laughs> oh, that's normal. <laughs> okay. I watch and watch and walk as I wash the dishes. So it, it literally gives an exploration guide for anything that you're interested in. I can search railway history. I can search what may. I can search place name histories. Like it's it's just this huge combination of sectors and other things to uh, bring it all together so people stay around. So, we're built, you're building this app. You're, as in everything, you hope people will use it. You mm-hmm. say that there's been 3,000 downloads so far, and that's just your beta test. Yeah. What does the future hold? When would you want to go officially live? Because at, at some point in time, you must May have 1st. to go like May first this year. <laughs> May first. Because like you must have to go. Okay, we can put as much information as we want in here, but at one time we have to go live. This is the summer. It's going to be. We're going to start targeting the app users, and we'll have that upgrade. So twenty twenty is when you're going to be going yep. live. May 2020 is going to be going live. So, realistically, first year. Yeah. It's okay. (laughs) There. Get him on his chair and maybe he'll quit clicking. (laughs) He's driving me nuts. (laughs) 
<laughs> the first year you're out, so yeah. the first month you're out, what's your download you want? What, like, how, how are you going to engage people? Is it just through social media? Is it through on, uh, online, like, emails? How are you going to engage people to get people to download this? Okay. This is a collaborative movement is really what it is. Okay. So we have all of those organizations sending us in information. And I'm going to, I'll say that after. So we have museums and visitor information centers and community community futures and chambers of commerce and tourism organizations and municipalities. I mean, we've got in Alberta Association of Agricultural Societies. Oh, wow. Like Edmonton or Alberta Chambers of Commerce. So all of those different organizations are all growing out as alliances and people can't see me talking with my hands, but whatever. <laughs> So those people are also our cross-marketers. So this summer coming up, they get gas stations, get business cards are participating, and I already have several that do. Hotels get business card size things that say download this app and explore Alberta. Yeah. So there's directly to the public. Um, visitor information centers are putting out information. Um, so you have a network of people oh, who are going to basically give you website. free advertising. Yeah. Because we're giving them free advertising. Exactly. So it's a mutual beneficial. Yeah. Um, May 1st, when you do go live, uh, is the app going to cost anything for anyone no. to download? So it's free. It's a free download. Wow. And so as we keep saying free, people say, well, how do you expect to make money on this? That's right? what I was, yep. okay, Next question. So we give everybody a free site listing if they choose to be on it. So okay. businesses from whatever, right? Um, but for businesses, nonprofits, the keywords and everything are all free. But for businesses, they get one image, their textual description, and links on there. But if they choose to add two more images or their logo or keywords, that's where we that's where our advertising costs come in. So if they got the bundle, it's $350 a year, which is inexpensive in the advertising world, yeah. right? Um, can people reach out to you via email to yes. start that conversation yeah. with you? Can they, they can. But what it also does for the app users is if I'm looking for a vegan menu or, I don't know, a rider-friendly business or air for my tires, by the use of those very specific keywords, we're literally rolling out the red carpet where people can find anything and everything that they want in Alberta. What's been the biggest obstacle when coming to getting information? Because, like I said, you can't have everything on there the day one, right? Right. Because everything's always going to be in flux. Things are going to be added 24-7. Yeah. Not 24-7, but throughout yeah. the week. Yeah. So what's been the biggest obstacle to date so far? I know you say that your time was one big issue, yeah. but gathering the information, what's been that big obstacle for you? Trying to streamline the process, I think. So... Um I now have about, I'd say, three different methods that we use, depending on the other end of the conversation. So, 
you know, I may be dealing with a municipality who can just whip together an Excel spreadsheet because they already have, but you got to think on the other end. Somebody's also needs to take the time to compose it all, right? And that yeah. is, and deciding how they want to do it. What's a system that works well for them, but also works well for us? Now, in the long run, on a future version, um, while these things are being uploaded now, once they're in the database, they're there. But what we did this with limited funding, so we do not have a stopgap, is what I call it, in our database. So if I let somebody in right now, they can do whatever they want. We don't want that, right? Yep. So the next version will give those municipalities and tourism organizations the ability to add and edit. Wow. So then they can keep their information current and we'll just see it popping by so we know who's doing what. And, you know, if somebody, we have hit the, like one person um, used to be in charge of it. Now they're no longer employed there. So how do we make that connection? And maybe the new person doesn't even know that this is available to them. That's one of our systematic things, right? What's been your biggest regret, though, about this? Is it be, is it that you didn't go fast enough? You weren't able to get the funding quick enough, or I, I think the funding is the regret. Yeah, because if you had the funding, you think you would have been able to be launched already? Yeah, because I could have delegated. Yeah, we could have hired people and got yeah, people to yeah. do this. Which then, of course, how do you say that? Um, the momentum is slowed down. So I would have liked to have had it out in Canada 150 because it was yeah. it was fitting, right? So again, looking towards the future, you mm-hmm. get Alberta up. Yeah. Do you go back to your home province of BC? Do it there. I've already got requests. <laughs> and Northwest Territories. Okay. So Canada's the limit. Canada's the limit. No, it's not. I was going to say, I can see you going into like Montana. Come on. (laughs) Going to England, doing the exact same thing. Yeah. Actually, we have back in the beginning when we were con, when we were doing the concept and um, talking to several people, there are other countries that have got people in other countries that have wanted. So have you patented the idea? Yes. It's copyrighted and all that. Yeah. That's part of the process of coding and all that. Mm Mm-hmm. That was part of that. So, yeah. Have and you, it's so simple. that That's the beauty of it. It's just yeah, simple. You just, you just needed someone to write the code, and that was it. Yeah. But for the app user side, it's, yeah. What's one thing Easy. you want people to take away from the app? I want them to learn more about my problems. This is a beautiful, beautiful place. I want them to be engaged in it. And like you said, the staycations. Right now, Alberta's hurting. If we can, if we want to go for a road trip, let's make it easy for people. Yeah. You know? Because I know that when I, I drive back and forth to Calgary from time to time, and the one thing that I do on a regular basis is I take the off-beaten road, right? Mm-hmm. Because you never take the road that's traveled all the time because yeah. I've never been up the Cowboy uh, Trail. Yeah. It was an amazing tour. And every time I tell people, like, why would you do 80 when you could be doing 100 on the uh, number, two, uh, number two or whatever it's called? Yeah. Uh, all the way up from Calgary to Edmonton because it's like, I've never been to Sundry, mm-hmm. never been to Rocky uh, Mountain House, I've uh, never been to Drayton Valley. 
yeah. I got to stop it and see all these amazing tourist attractions that I would never have been able to see beforehand, right? Yeah, yeah. So I think, I, I do agree with you that people need to start exploring the province because I don't think people do it in a fashion that, mm-hmm. because they take it for granted, right? They think Banff, Jasper. Not that anything's wrong with those two cities because no. I really do love them. It's just, go to her slave lake. Go up to Peace River. I've been up to Fort Vermilion twice, and I loved it. I'm going to bring something up that just happened right here. Okay. We were sitting here, and you said, oh, look at that. A deer walked right by the door. Yep. As the person that lives in this house and looks out these windows every day, that is normal to me. Exactly. Right? Well, your reaction was, oh, I did dishes, and I, I yeah, can watch they, them. Yeah, they are all the time. Right? <laughs> and... Whereas you, coming into my environment, yep. let's just say community, mm-hmm. you're finding things that I no longer see. And Albertans need to take a fresh look around them. And what is it that I take for granted? Other people might find fascinating. That other people might find fascinating. Yeah. And my sister, I have the perfect story for this. My sister, um, when her children were teenagers, did Jack... Speaking of deer, literally another one just walked by. (laughs) (laughs) I think we said its name too many times. Yeah. Anyway, your sister. She had Japanese exchange students. Okay. So, on the first year... She said, oh, do you mind if we bring the student to your house and do a wiener roast? Maybe you can give him a ride in a quad or whatever, right? Do Canadian traditions. Do Canadian things. And um, so she did, and this kid's just, like, thrilled. Um, so the next year, this went on for four years. I think the next year we had six, the next year we had 13, and the next year we had 28 before she was done. And we were kids? Canada kids, students. Wow. We were Canada to them. This, like, they can... Well, because when you think of Canada, like, the traditional image of Canada is igloos, outdoors, wilderness, mm-hmm. lumberjacks, and all that. You don't think of downtown Toronto or downtown Calgary. Yeah. So, like, smaller communities, I, I would agree wholeheartedly with you that smaller communities are what make Canada great, right? Mm-hmm. The, the bigger cities, yes, we need them, but the smaller communities, yeah. God bless them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So here I'm throwing out. Have you ever been to the Jarvie Bird and Bat Conservancy? Jarvie has a bird and bat (laughs) conservatory? Yeah. So you can go and wander on these lovely trails, which are historic, by the way, in my opinion. It's called Cache Park. It was a railway cache. Um, I didn't think Jarvie had anything. Yeah, and they have a lovely little open-air museum with regarding sawmills, and they have an old tractor, and it's... An interesting signage. I know about the McClellan? McClellan? McClellan. Bird walk? McClellan. Yeah, bird Kim, walk. Kim, Kim and one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, their bird walk, but I didn't know Jerry had one. Yeah. In the summer, I'm going to have to go out and yeah. do yeah. I, I'm just not a big fan of birds, so I try yeah, not well, to stay near them. Well, it's interesting because it's also bats. So they have brooding nests for bats, and also, I like bats, by the way, because they go eat lots it. of mosquitoes. <laughs> but it's interesting, like you're learning. Yeah. So long term on the app as we're putting in all of these keywords and all of these phrases, what does that do in three or four years for Alberta teachers as a tool yeah. to bring that history into the backyard and start attracting the youth? Because I, I even think, I even find uh, people in northern Alberta, 
right? Mm-hmm. Don't know the history. Yeah. Don't know the tourist attractions, right? Mm-mm. They, like we said, we've become so blind of our own surroundings that we think that we need to go outside of our area to get mm-hmm. that aha moment. That yeah. oh my god, there's a deer moment, yeah. right? So. Yeah. When I talk to people, they want to go to those big locations. But when I'm here, I'm like, hey, High Prairie has this amazing history. That museum is amazing. It's a lovely museum. Canusa's museum is amazing. Mm -hmm. Like, I've talked to numerous people who live in the area that I lived in, like Foster, Slave Lake, who had never been there. And they were born here. And I haven't spent near enough time along the lake. Here's yeah. another bucket list item. You have Canyon Creek with the harbor and the the boat, the thing. The launch, yep. And the Canyon Creek hotel, bar, yeah. steak dinner. Which used I've to, never been there, but I've, I've never heard, been there. heard Friday night steak nights are amazing. And they used to be a fish hatchery. Um... I drove into Fost once and wanted to go poke around more often because you've got that whole lakeside going up the there. Lakeside, you have the Fost Co-op Hatchery that was bustling that made Fost basically a town at one point in time before yep. the fish uh, fishing industry in the province got decimated. I think that I could spend. I could at least go to High Prairie and spend the night and come home and meander and probably not take it all in. Oh, you yeah. need you need two or three weeks. Yeah. Because there's like even Gerard, right? Look at oh, Gerard. Look at Gerard. <laughs> yeah. Gerard um, has one of the most interesting histories, but the darkest histories in the area. Yeah. With the residential school that was there. Yeah. There is so much history just to unpack there. Yeah. Which is an area that I do want to talk about because we've talked about tourist destinations, about the history part of it. Is it just settlers' history, or is it all history? It's all history. So there and are points on the map on in the mobile app that are uh, in, uh, geared towards Indigenous and Aboriginal people. Some, and and the reason is, I think, and this is my opinion, I think that the Indigenous people have been pe- have had people telling their story for years yep. and it's my goal to let them tell their own story and that requires developing relationships following protocol and trying to go about it the right way and if you're not sure ask and to move forward in that direction so um, the one thing that we did do is place name histories if it came from an indigenous word We've indicated that in our search functions, and it's also told. Um, and then there's also, that, like, Lac Labiche, for instance. When I'm reading the Alberta Place Name History book, David Thompson discovered Lac Labiche. Okay. No, he didn't. <laughs> like, sorry. He might have arrived there, but there were people there, so therefore he did not discover it. Yeah. So you have to... He what named it. it. Yeah. So whatever those things are, you have to kind of look at that and and really give credit where credit's due. Okay. <laughs> does now, that make sense? It does. So yeah. you just mentioned something. I, I, I've been, I've wanted, I've asked numerous people, but they've never been able to give me a straight answer here. Mm-hmm. You might, but you might not. So if you can't, don't worry about it. Where does the name Slave Lake come from? Do it, you know in your histories? Like, yes. Okay. It, um... 
it was from indigenous languages and I can't remember if it was Diné or Cree which one it came from but the translation is people not of us or people not like us so it was a different tribe right different band so the the English or whomever people not not like us are because, slaves because well, from I was going to say because from what I understand it was the slavey Indians yeah that, Could have been. okay because that's because I've never been able to get a full answer out of that and, and I've yeah. always found it fascinating yeah and I want to I need to track down what was the original word what was the in original people that used the word yeah. and and who translated it because but that's because it's people not like us which was then kind of transferred into transferred into slave yeah and then the lake, the lake. yeah because when you look at like Foss there's a big history of why it's called Foss and yeah. if you talk to people in the Drift Pile First Nations they'll tell you exactly why it's Foss yeah so I just I thought you might know so yeah that's so I know I just don't know specific I know I know that's the reason I just don't know where the original original words came from okay because originally it was called Saw Ridge right because the 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 original town that was settled on the banks of the slave less well lesser slave lake yeah mouth I would say of the uh, river slash uh, lake was the Sarge yeah and then they moved it into town after it flooded a few yeah in the 30s yeah yeah yeah, and then to and also closer into town again to train station. That's true too. Yeah, they built it literally around the train station. Yeah. So one of the things, and this is a weird abbreviation I did, but it works. Instead of typing place name history, you can type C I H Community Information History. And we have the majority of all of the why people why places were named what they were, and some of those include um, lake names and mountain names and yeah. And so, if you search Cree language at this point, those that originated from a Cree word will pop up, or you can search Indigenous languages. And it, it would be any indigenous language it's referred because there are some that have more than one language that yeah. took place to create that name. So yeah. we'll go full circle here now. Okay. We'll go back to Smith. Oh, yeah. So you said why things were named certain ways. So we know from the beginning of our uh, interview, Smith was named after the engineer who was building the uh, railway through mm-hmm. here from the Edmonton, Dunvegan... And British Columbia Railway. And British Ray. Columbia Railway. Is that gentleman buried in Smith? No, he's buried in Virginia. <laughs> Would you like to see a picture of his grave? <laughs> Okay. So when we did so our... So he didn't stay here? No. He left in the 20s. There was a big railway kerfuffle and people were court cases and whatever. So he went back to Virginia um, with his wife who was from Virginia. Oh. Kate Waller Barrett was her mother and she formed... I believe it was the Florence Critterton Society with another man for unwed mothers. And her mother passed away, so Reba was Rathbone Smith's wife's name, and her brother took over that mission. 
and it's still in existence today. So down in in uh, Alexandria, Virginia, where he ended up being at, there's like schools and parks and stuff all named after his wife's family. Oh wow! <laughs> and I found his grandson, uh, more more grandchildren, but anyways, his grandson Doug came up for our centennial and when I phoned them I won't go through the sequence of events but um, I phoned this one number of one of his grand I found the obituary and her husband said and what is your business with Rathbone Smith and I said I live in Canada and Alberta in the tame na- town named after him and he went you're kidding me right <laughs> so no, he didn't even know they, they had no clue and because they had such a strong matriarchal family I can't say that word yep. they literally because he was an engineer on the railway they thought he drove a train they had no clue he was general manager when almost all the track in northern Alberta was laid wow so that was a bit of a surprise to them and then Doug and his son um, came up for our centennial and he says one of the best vacations he's ever had in his life I had him touring all over the country so, last question. Okay. Looking back on that faithful year of 1995, yeah. when you moved to this small town from, uh, where'd you move from? Um, we'll just say Edmonton. Okay, so, from the, so you moved from a city to a small town. Do you regret anything you've done to this point? No. You're happy? I'm very happy. You're, you're enjoying the, the history you're learning, the yeah. tourism outreach that you're doing? More than enjoying, yeah. I, there's a Is great there... sense of satisfaction, and I think that comes not only from the history and being able to share it, but the enthusiasm that other people take in that. Yeah. And I got to tell you, though, if, if in January, well, let's just say December 2014, before, the, before Margaret made her fateful comment, <laughs> if somebody would have said, oh, this is what you're going to be doing in five years, I would have, like, not likely. So I don't know if you have you ever heard my tagline if I was going to do a speech or my title. From housewife to award winner, the accidental entrepreneur. <laughs> Barber. <laughs> yeah, it's like, but it sums it up. It, it, I would have never imagined that the, I think one of your questions was, how's the response? I would have never imagined that me just writing a bit of Northern Alberta history and popping it on an app would have had the amazing response that it's yeah, had. exploded into what it is today and will continue to grow because the more people that hear about you, and word gets around, right? Yeah. It's, yeah. Awesome. It's fun. I just, I love it. <laughs> can you tell? I can. <laughs> well, Sheila, thank you very much for doing this. Uh, I've learned so much. I want to come back and just pick your brain about more things about history. So I think we'll do a follow-up interview. So okay. that's okay. Yeah. Thank you very much for doing this. Thank you. And once again, thank you to our guest for coming in and sitting down today. It was greatly appreciated. As I've said in the introduction, this podcast is about having a conversation. I learned a lot in this interview, and I really hope you did too. This podcast couldn't have happened without our listeners. From here in Alberta to across Canada and around the world, I want to take this moment and thank everyone for listening to this podcast. 
If you haven't already, be sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. The links are in the show notes. Or visit our website at www.crossborderinterviews.ca. We will be back here next Saturday with another great episode of the Cross Border Interview Podcast. This podcast is produced and owned by Miranda Brown and Associates. I'm your host, Christopher Brown. Once again, have a safe and hopefully talkative week.